This is a Soulfire production. everyone, Connor Wanders back at it again in this wild, wild world that we're living in now. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Actually had my first, um, the first person that I know personally in real life that has been uh, confirmed a carrier of COVID-19. So he's on, uh, he's on lockdown. He is one of the hosts of a fantastic Westworld podcast called Freeze All Motor Function. So um, go check that show out if you're into Westworld. And if you uh, listen to the top three series rundown last episode, then you know I have a I have an affinity for that show and the mind-bendy nature of it. But um, yeah, that's Jared Borslow. Give him some love. If you're a fan of that show, send him something nice. Say something nice to him. So, oh man, things have been going on. Lots happening. I have a really fun show for you today. We're talking about, of course, we got a coronavirus update in the state of things. And we're going to get into some surprise news. We're going to talk about money. And then in a new segment called The Rundown, I'm going to be breaking down corporate socialism, what it is, what it means. It's a, it's a buzz phrase nowadays. So I think it deserves a little attention. And what I want to do in The Rundown as we continue, this will be the place the seggy that I break down a concept, a thought, an idea, uh, a book, perhaps maybe, a, maybe a movie, something that's relevant, something that's relevant that I think would be fun to, uh, to dissect a little bit. So today that is corporate socialism tomorrow, who knows what it could be. It's, um, it's all up in the air right now. <laughs> God damn. So many transitionings happening. And you know, I think that I don't think things will be I hope they aren't the same again. And I mean that in a good way. I think that we're going to test the faith that we have in ourselves to to rebound from something like this. I think the level of transparency that we have access to now through this entire process and this whole coronavirus process has, has shined a light on a lot of things that deserve attention, that maybe didn't get attention. You know, it's so easy for us to float in and out of our normal day-to-day lives without actually considering the processes that create the world that we live in and, and how we can get involved in those. And I think this is something that's going to put us in a position where we have no choice, but to really acknowledge what's happening, um, the flaws in our current systems and what we can do to be better. You know, what we can do to be better. I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, Rand Paul, if you don't know who Rand Paul is, he's kind of a pseudo libertarian type character. Um, I believe he's a congressman and, uh, was kind of pushing for not helping people out. He didn't want to give people money. Uh, and make no mistake, this is giving people money. That's what we're getting now. And we're all getting, a lot of us will be getting checks in the mail or direct deposits from the government, which is unprecedented. Um, but he was he was, uh, he was was about saving the, uh, the economy first, live second. And lo and behold, gets coronavirus. So, yeah. Karma. <laughs> Interesting guy. And it's... One thing that I've been challenged on uh, before we get into the state of things, I want to get clear on this lately, and I've been posting even a little bit more outspoken than usual lately. Um, 
I think there's a lot of assumptions being made that I am a socialist or that I have, I mean, I definitely have preferred leanings as far as this all goes, but I'm not a socialist, I'm not a libertarian. I'm not, I don't know what camp I fit into. Um, you know, if there was, if there was people in that camp, I'd look at like the Kyle Kalinske's of the world and say, okay, well, there's just like, the, there's this, there is this left wing of libertarianism that makes a lot of sense, which is, which is socially libertarian. Like, do whatever the fuck you want, but also acknowledges the role of, of the government in creating an environment that provides people with the opportunity to contribute to society in a meaningful way. And recently got into a debate about what, what, what rights are, what are rights? You know, and, and the argument was that rights can't be something that require the labor of another that is akin to slavery, which I think is some really kind of out there backwards, alt-right talking point as if someone is proposing in the world that people should work for free, right? Like using slavery as some kind of like triggering, we can't do this thing is so fucking silly to me. So silly. And I think, you know, as, as societies progress, there is a time to reassess the rights that we have. I think that's, that's pretty fucking straightforward. I know when the Bill of Rights was drafted, it was about 100 years before the abolish, abolishment of slavery. So you can infer based on that that the people who drafted that, at least several of them, right, that put that together, the men that put that together, believed it was a right to own slaves at that time. If you want to draw a contrast, so shit changes. What we're capable of changes. And as what we're capable of changes and shifts, what we are provided should also reflect that growth. And when you have a situation where people in the middle class haven't seen a, 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 a fuck, can't even put the words out, but haven't seen a, a increase in pay in 30, 40 years, but the people at the top of this pyramid situation have seen exponential growth financially, it creates, it creates an environment that pushes us towards socialism. Because people are disenfranchised and disillusioned. I don't think that all in out socialism is a fantastic idea. You know, it, it does provide a situation where an authoritarian leader can slip in and completely kibosh the whole thing and fuck everybody over, which is, a, that's the danger of it, right? That's the danger. If you think that Marxist communism doesn't make valid points, well, then you're an ideologue. You're not looking at things that do have validity. Is it the best fucking plan? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I do want to try and do the best I can to get clear on like where I'm coming from here and what this all, what this all kind of means to me and where I, where I land with it. And I believe that as we've progressed as a society and as things become more available, things like healthcare and education should be treated in the same way that we treat um, K through 12 education. You have access to those things at this point. And the way that we're behaving and the agreements that we've made in, in the world is that you need transportation, for example. You need a basic education and you need transportation to contribute to society. So in that agreement, we provide education, K through 12, and public transportation. Because you have to have some way to get around, most likely, 
to contribute to society. So we have created systems to back that up. When we start to expand that into things like healthcare, because our our success is so that we can provide that for people, it's something to be considered. Is this a right? I don't know, maybe. But it's something to be considered. Now, I, I'm a believer that if if your if your beliefs in what is quote unquote right, the right thing to do, if your beliefs about what is right are in complete alignment with your self-interest, you're probably being naive. And you're leveraging confirmation bias, which is part of human nature, but you're leveraging that to create your decision-making, which is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. So I hope that sheds a little light on me and my thoughts and my beliefs. But with that being said, let's get into the state of things. All right, first up on the state of things, and we got some we got some juicy goodness here. Louisiana. Louisiana is the budding hotspot for new coronavirus cases. They have over 4,000 cases and almost 200 deaths. Now, with the predictions that they're putting out there, they're going to need about twice as many ICU units as they have. Fuck. That's a that's a predicament. Now, Louisiana I just happen to have a. I have to have happen to have some experience with Louisiana. I mean, fuck. Once in Louisiana, I was. I grew up. I grew up spending my summers in Louisiana. I mean, in one time in Louisiana, I caught an alligator with a fishing pole in a piro with my dad. Now. That was a wild experience. I think I was about seven years old. We caught an alligator. It was about three, maybe four feet long with a fishing pole in a piro, which is like a mix between a kayak and a canoe. It's like a, like a redneck canoe type of situation. Very cool situation. And not only did that happen, but it happened in a flooded movie set. So there's cypress trees everywhere. It's a legit motherfucking swamp. And there's like half-covered, flooded houses that were part of this movie set. And a dam had broken and it flooded this area. I think it was where they filmed uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon or something like that. So the super creepy area. I'm seven years old. I'm holding the fishing rod with a fucking alligator on it. And that, that to me, that's what I think about in this rural Louisiana. I mean, shit, one time in Louisiana, I saw a pug get kicked by a horse. I saw a pug get kicked by a horse. I rode a, a, a dirt bike into a hole that catapulted me into a tree. I had a helmet on, so I was fine. But that's the kind of shit that goes down in Louisiana. That is the kind of shit that goes down in Louisiana. One time I found a dead owl in a swamp. Well, I think I was hunting. I was a little kid. Crazy shit. Gators and bar ditches. There's fucking, it's just, it's a wild, it's a wild, wild place. But if there's anywhere where people can survive something like this, it's Louisiana. I mean, they've got guns, Jesus, moonshine. And you got to think that the inbreeding 
will give them some kind of immunity. If you can survive that situation, you could probably survive coronavirus. But here's the deal. Before everybody was getting shut down, they had a little a little event called Mardi Gras. I think that's when this whole thing kind of started kicking off, was right after Mardi Gras. Now you go down to Mardi Gras. I mean, your mindset going into Mardi Gras, I think you if you're going down there to do Mardi Gras right, you're okay. You're fine uh, coming back with the clap, maybe a little gonorrhea, maybe crabs, but you're not thinking about getting the Rona down there. It changes the game. Going to Mardi Gras, everybody's putting their hands on beads, throwing them around. You got titties all over the place. Shit gets wild in Mardi Gras. Shit gets wild on Bourbon Street. Lots of contact. Lots of contact. People, you know, taking doing doing uh, beer bongs and shot blocks and all kinds. There's just lots of lots of fluid moving back and forth from all kinds of orifices in your body. So if I was thinking there was one place where you don't want to be during a coronavirus pandemic, it's Mardi Gras. But they didn't cancel it, which, you know, look at that. They didn't cancel it. No one was really canceling that many things at the time, maybe up in Seattle at the time, but they didn't cancel it. And I'm kind of glad, you know, you got to think about it. Probably a good idea. That's their biggest payday of the year. That big, that week is their biggest payday of the year. At least the people in the service industry probably have something to live on. The bartenders and waiters, waitresses, etc., have something to live on through this situation once it gets shut down. So there is a silver lining in them still having Mardi Gras, but Mardi Gras is a cesspool for a pandemic. If you're like, hey, I want to create the most fucked up situation to spread a pandemic, it's Mardi Gras. Shit. Shit. Wild place. Louisiana is a wild, wild place. Hope they do okay down there. But they got they got what they need. They got Jesus. They got guns. They got moonshine. And they've got a Brazilian nature. But I think... Let's just put this out there. What if the population of Louisiana drops by 60%? That takes an already wild place and turns up turns it up a notch. The swamp just take the nature just takes over. That humidity, you end up with some real life fucking swamp people out there. And that could be wild. That's a set of a really that's a scene of a really, really interesting book. <laughs> Anyways, out there as an author and wants to write a book about some kind of pandemic knocking down the population of Louisiana by 60% and just play that out in your mind. Where does that go? Whew. Now, the, the places I spent time when I was in, when I spent summers there with my dad when I was a kid, they're pretty self-sustaining. They had, had uh, uh, grapes on the vine. They had uh, the chickens, had some, had some, uh, had some stock tanks and catfish. They're fine, I think. I think that's the that's we think about Louisiana as New Orleans, but rural Louisiana, man, that is something else. But it's about to get wild, more wild there than it has ever been. Whew, Louisiana. All right, moving on, moving on. There's a big. This has been a story that's been bouncing around for a few days, and I want I want to dive into this because I think I have some uh, I have some views on this that are a little different than the popular left. So Bill Ackman is a billionaire hedge fund manager. He went on CNBC last week to tearfully warn that hell is coming and to beg the White House to shut down the country for 30 days while he was knee-deep in a bet against the markets that netted him $2.6 billion. 
from an initial investment of around $27 million. So here's the deal. He went, here, here's the argument. The argument is that Bill Ackman, old Billy Ackman, has a lot of um, influence on the markets by what he has to say. He went in saying things like Hilton and Starbucks were going to tank and this is going to this is going to halt progress essentially in the United States. And the assumption then is that people acted in alignment with what he was going to say, which I'm sure some people did. I am sure some people did. But um I feel like, you know, he's being criticized for this for manipulating the markets and then making, you know, 2.6 billion for his for his uh for his hedge fund there. But I feel like you look at this guy, look at this dude, he did exactly what he said you should do. <laughs> that was probably the advice he was acting by, his own. It was clear that the markets were going to tank. It was abundantly clear. So if you're a hedge fund manager, it's your fucking job to make the type of plays that are going to pay off. And this one paid off big time, big time. And I think, you know, this dude probably lost, they said even lost his ass and other investments. I just don't, I see people taking this stuff out of context. And this is where I think this like hard line left against things like billionaires, millionaires, is you're not, you're not taking in the whole picture here. If everybody did what he had said to do on CNBC that was involved in this type of situation, we'd be better off. They would, that's, a, that's the right play to make. You know, as soon as this happened, I used my little micro-investing app to invest in uh, Zoom communications, which we'll get into later, and Slack, because those are vital for remote work, which is a big part of this. And those had tanked. I got them low. I don't feel like a bad person for doing that. It was like, well, here's this, because everything else is fucked. Do something with, with, with what you can here. Try to save your ass. I just don't, I don't get the criticism. I'm sure this guy isn't like a, a great human being. I'm sure he's not necessarily on the side of everything going hunky-dory for the rest of the population. But at the same time, you can't hate the player here. This is the way the game is set up. So you got to look at this and you're going to, you're going to idol, you're going to isolate him as if he is, he's a symptom of the problem. He's not the problem. So Bill Ackman, if you're listening out there, I'm not coming to your defense necessarily, but I do think that we, we tend to short sight or be short sighted about this kind of thing. We don't look at the full picture, which then makes that these takes, these takes, this guy is, is nefarious just to seem spiteful, only spiteful and not backing them up with any kind of information. And it's not a, it's not a full picture. It is not a full picture. So Bill Ackman make that, he made the money. It's done. And we'll get into this a little bit later with uh, with the with the conversation on corporate socialism. But I think I think the motherfucker did what he said he was going to do. It doesn't seem like he lied. No one's saying he lied about what was going to happen. It was clear that was going to happen. I don't think he changed. I don't think he necessarily changed the trajectory. He definitely didn't help it any. But this is the world we live in. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. All right. Now people are. Lonely, and that moves us into our next, into our next topic here. Oh my God, oh my God! And this is going to be—you're going to get the, the the pleasure of hearing me try to read little excerpts from this article. But 
Right now, we're talking about Zoom sex parties. And this was written by a guy named Andrew Kahn for Slate. The title is Coronavirus Diaries. I went to a sex party on Zoom. I'm going to link to this in the show notes. Definitely go check this out. This is fucking hysterical. So to preface this, um, the author of this article is affiliated with a guy who runs these kind of underground sex parties. Uh, I believe it's in New York. And uh, <laughs> it's a common thing. They do them every week. And it's a, it's more of a, a gay men's experience. So they have these sex parties. And, of course, because of what's going on, a sex party is not where you're going to want to be. Right? So, so let me just get started with how this article, how does he starts off. He wrote this thing really well. Super fun. And this is from the article. About 15 minutes into my first sex party on Zoom, the dicks came out of the pants. There were more than a dozen of them. Once in a while, someone would offer a compliment, a whimper, or a flick open a bottle of lube, prompting Zoom to showcase them as the featured speaker. By the half-hour mark, all conversation had ceased, save frequent requests for the host to please mute when there was was disruptive background noise. Some things never change. (laughs) Now, they don't want background noise like traffic or, or any kind of background like TV on, anything like that, but they were allowing sex noises. So if you're making those sexy, sexy noises, then that's fine. This is okay. But, you know, friends on the TV in the background, not the move. Don't want that in your Zoom sex party. Now, he goes on to say, when I got an email on Saturday from a queer New York sex party, I almost didn't open it. The weekend before, as New Yorkers were being self-isolated in mass, some sex party organizers had to had minimized the crisis. But this party in particular, and there are several of these groups in the city meeting monthly in semi-secret dungeons. This one has always been my favorite. <laughs> so this is cool. I mean, people are finding a way. They're finding a way to connect. And I love this. It's just a, a, a dozen or so dudes that love dicks getting together and jerking off. This is the kind of community we need in the world. Perseverance. Ingenuity. Creativity. Now, continue from the article. As the hour of group Zoom sex approached, I hit some dirty dishes and showered, but I didn't brush my teeth or purify any other orifices. I did put on a jock strap under my sweatpants. That's prepared. You don't want that background to look messy. You don't want that background. You don't want dirty dishes in the background. You don't want to be that guy. That's distracting you from the D. Now, throwing on the jock strap under the sweatpants, bold move. I respect that. That's a, that's a that's a nice that's a nice mix. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about undergarments in general. If you're hetero or homo, whatever you're whatever you're doing, whoever you're fucking out there, what's going on under those pants, sweatpants, jeans, skirts, whatever? That's an opportunity for a surprise. That is an opportunity for a surprise. Don't miss that opportunity. If anything, if any, if this if this situation has showed us anything, don't miss an opportunity. Maybe they're boy shorts, maybe they're classic. God damn it! Oh, I can't quote Will Ferrell right now. All right, let's keep going. I entered the meeting with my video off. Peter, 
who was serious but not intimidating, came on screen and made small talk. There was no pressure to show your face or anything else. He explained in soothing tones, I just want to make sure everyone feels like they have an outlet. The previous night, a three-hour jerk-off party had been full of talking. Some, per- some participants that had been dealing with symptoms of the coronavirus. So people that have the Rona are still in there getting their jollies off. And that is inclusivity. You're not going to catch Corona via, via, via Zoom. Why hold back? Maybe you just started seeing somebody and they got the, they got the Rona. Hey, FaceTime sex is still on board. Get that Zoom call. You can even record that video with their permission. Record that video. Keep it for later. With their permission. Don't sneaky, don't sneaky record anybody's shit. That's fucked up. That's a betrayal of trust. Don't do that. All right, all right, all right. Oh, here we go. This is this setting the stage. This is the, this is the thing. Here's the thing about gay men that I really respect. They will make a dramatic entrance. Straight guys don't do that. Straight guys just come in, fucking pull their clothes off. Probably don't even go down on whoever they're gonna go, whoever they're about to fuck, and just get to it. But gay men can make an entrance. Listen to this shit. The first guy on Sunday to turn on his video appeared in complete darkness with dramatic opera music blasting. What? This guy had been, he was like, you know what? I'm going to go Phantom of the Opera on these motherfuckers. What? That's the fucking move. The opera faded out. Some lurkers turned their cameras on and the conversation took on the friendly, nervous rhythm of an age-diverse gay book club. I turned my camera on. The stroking began soon after. Our various rhythms and timbres overlapping like a minimalist composition. This is fucking jerk-off acapella right here. The stroking began soon after. Our various rhythm and timbres overlapping like a minimalist composition. I don't know what the fuck a timbre is, but this guy's got a knack for words and obviously got a knack for... Knack for stroking his wang. I switched to the for a while to the app's gallery view. A grid of dicks, slack jaws, bellies, and butts, mine included. Towards the end, a threesome dialed in and showed us some split roasting. Peter asked us to let him know if we were going to come so he could focus the view. A few people did. When the hour was up, we all said goodnight. That's a day right there. And just for clarification, split roasting, I had to look this up, is a verb involving three people, two active males and one passive female or male. One person penetrates from the front and one from the rear. So that's, that, was, that was going on in this. So it, it progressed from jerking off to, uh, to some split roasting. Escalated quickly. Interesting stuff here. We will find a way. We will find a way to connect. So my friend... Andrew Kahn, from the writer for Slate. Props to you, brother. And thank you for putting that out there. That's not an easy thing to put out there on the web. Saying, hey, I went to this, to this um, jerk-off party on Zoom. That's fucking journalism right there. That's what we need. That's not fake news. That's real news. And that's bringing people's hopes up. And in the same vein of jerking off while, sharing, while looking at a computer screen... Pornhub views spike. 
And there's been some interesting data on Pornhub's views. Now, I'm not a porn guy. I'm not a porn guy. Not for me. Never really been into it. Um, you know, there's just something about a guy with bad tattoos just fucking someone with emotional issues that reminds me too much of my parents. It's too close to home. So I've just kind of stayed away from it. It wasn't really for me in high school. It wasn't I just did, I didn't I, I kind of missed the curve, but I have a, a very vivid imagination that could put me anywhere. And that's my primary mode. That's my primary mode. But Pornhub's uh, stats are spiking. Now, this is interesting. While views at 2 a.m. are up 11%, views at 8 a.m. are down 9%. Now, I'm sure there's, if you look at that on a, on a, on this, on scale, a lot more people are, you know, at nighttime doing their thing. But their theory is, that since people don't have to commute to work and get up and go places, most people are working from home or not working at all, people are sleeping in. My question is that, or my question is, who's jerking off at 8 a.m. to Pornhub? I mean, I just can't imagine. For me, I like to, I like to, I like to with, I like to hold the seed in. It gives me energy. It gives me that chi. I like to keep the seed in unless I'm really gonna get something out of it. You know, whether it's whether it whether it's a, some good sex, or whether it's um, whether it's just a, a good a good rubdown sesh on my own, I want to make it make it worthwhile. I think getting I think getting up at eight a.m. and jerking off is a bad idea for men, anyways. I can't speak for women here. There might be a good mood stabilizer. I don't know, but I think if you want that fervor for life, if you want that tenacity to go into the day. You gotta you gotta keep that seed inside, baby. Gotta dial it back. So all those 8 a.m. porn hubbers out there, if, if I'm talking to you, fucking chill, baby. Hold it in. Hold it in. Use it. That's your power. That's that strong seed. Um, but people are staying up later and sleeping in. That's that's how it's going. Now, here's one thing. Here's here's something else to just speak to the, the goodness, the general goodness of humanity. In the wake of Italy's lockdown, Pornhub announced that it was going to give Italians free premium subscriptions through the month of March. Pornhub has decided to donate its Model Hub March revenue to help Italy overcome an emergency. A message reads on the site in Italy. <laughs> to keep your company at home during these weeks, you'll be able to access Pornhub Premium for free for a whole month, no credit card required, and Italy's Pornhub views are up 13.8%. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. We're lonely out there. We're lonely out there in the world. And Pornhub is doing what they can do to provide us with a little, a little silver lining. A little something special. Also, coronavirus-related porn is through the roof. So if you want to watch Two Girls Go At It, and um, maybe a DoorDash guy busting in in a hazmat suit. They got you. <laughs> They've got you covered. Always pertinent. Oh, man. So that's the state of things. That is the state of things. Somehow we covered coronavirus, hedge fund managers, Zoom sex parties, and Pornhub all in one sec. But that's the kind of shit that you're going to get on Connor Wanders. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. This is the opposite of, of mainstream news. Now, with that being said, 
It's time for the rundown. Let's get into it. All right, all right. Corporate socialism. Interesting concept. And I I have to admit that when I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I can see where they're coming from with that. But I I never did the due diligence. I never jumped in and said, well, what is this? Where does it come from? Uh, What are we looking at here? Now, a couple things. Corporate socialism and corporate welfare are are, uh, kind of interchangeable. So I had to kind of dig down the rabbit hole with both of those. But I want to break this down because I think this is something that's very an interesting topic to just at least be more educated on. Um, and trying to lead by example there, I guess. So I think the first thing we need to do is break down socialism because we talk, we hear socialism a lot. Um, I mean, shit, I was just talking about it in the intro of the show, but we hear socialism a lot, especially with Bernie Sanders. And there's been an influx in, in just people speaking about socialism, which inherently has its problems, of course, as does capitalism. But I think we don't get into the actual definition. So here's the Merriam-Webster definition. Any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distributing goods. Okay. So either collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distributing goods, which is kind of hard to really nail down. But you're looking at that and saying, okay, well, that means that it's it's a shared responsibility and a distribution of wealth, essentially. But you think, okay, well, how does that really go hand in hand with with the corporatism that we have now in our current capitalist-ish state, which most people would would. And here's the thing: here's here's the phrase that gets thrown around. We have corporate socialism for the higher ups and rugged individualism slash capitalism for the rest of us. And we'll get into why. So corporate socialism is often used to describe a government's bestowal of money, grants, tax breaks, and other special favorable treatment for corporations, which is extremely pertinent now because we just had this, this bailout situation, which had an unprecedented, unprecedented payments, a series of payments to American people, which is a move in the right direction. People are criticizing this all over the place, but it is a move in a really powerful direction. Got to give credit where credit is due. Now, another definition that I I dug down and found, the definition of corporate socialism is sometimes restricted to government subsidies of major corporations, including tax loopholes and all manner of regulatory and trade decisions, which in practice could be worth much more than any direct subsidies. So what they're, what we're talking about here is creating a system where we share the risk associated with, and by we I mean the populace of the United States in this example, we share the risk associated with these corporations. 2008 is a great example in the financial crisis. We share the risk associated with the big banks being able to do whatever it is that they're able to do because our money's involved in that system, oftentimes involuntarily, right? It's just the way that it is. So 
when those people shit the bed, taxpayer money bails them out, right? It supports their situation. Now, at the same time, this can go. This goes much deeper than bailouts. This has to do with tax havens, loopholes, essentially granting a situation where we're covering their ass. That's the philosophy of corporate socialism, which if you really think about it is exactly the situation that we have here. We love to, it, it's a fun thing to say that we live in a capitalist society, but if it, was, if it was purely capitalist, then the airlines would be bankrupt by now after this whole coronavirus thing. Things, we would let big things fall. The auto industry would have totally been decimated. Like this is just where it is. So to go on, it says that we've socialized losses and privatized gains. So if there's major losses, then that kind of triggers this socialist movement of bailout and, and savior situation from the government. But the gains from those companies, and here's where it gets weird. It'd be different if those companies were then required to pay back into something that was benefiting the populace, but they privatized those gains. So the upside of our contribution is privately owned, right? It's it's distributed amongst the the wealthy and the people that are players in that game, which has contributed to this massive income inequality that we have here in the United States. This 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 wealth gap, you know, the the dismantling of the middle class. Interesting concept to, to consider here. Now to continue, there's some quotes here that I thought were really pertinent. Um, I'm using the word pertinent a lot today. Strong word, love it. Companies that have failed in the marketplace stick the taxpayers with their losses, but when they make money, they get to keep it. And secondly, huge amounts of capital are given to these companies by the taxpayers. So again, we're propping up these companies and in return get very little, very little. Privatizing profits and socializing losses refers to the idea that corporations want to reserve financial gains for themselves and pass along losses to the rest of society, potentially through lobbying the government for assistance. This practice was criticized highly in the Wall Street bailout of 2008. This is where a lot of this stuff came to came to view. And I think this is really interesting because we've we've achieved a level of of transparency never really seen before. So a lot of these things were in, were put into place in the 80s, 90s. Um, through Democrats and Republicans that were kind of owned by corporate interest, right? So there wasn't the level of transparency there. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't this fucking podcast. These things didn't exist. So there was very little understanding of what was actually going on, but we have achieved a level of transparency that then puts pressure on the government to act in alignment with the well-being of society at large. Really interesting here. Now, Another thing they talked about was subsidies, which is really interesting because you have to think about, think about agriculture, highly subsidized, oil and gas, highly subsidized, even things like, and I didn't realize this, I read about this and I didn't put it in here, but I'll kind of go from memory here. Government purchasing land that strip centers and malls are on, right? Using the power of eminent domain. And then those companies and stores that are running off of that, that, that are that are operating on that property, government-owned property, can charge you sales tax, but keep it as profit. Because through some fucking loophole, if it's if it's government-owned land, yada yada yada, the whole thing. But we're actually using, since it is government-owned land, we have to use taxpayer money to build these stores out. So we're using taxpayer money to build the stores. Then we go buy things from. 
something to think about. But anyway, subsidies. Subsidies considered excessive, unwarranted, wasteful, unfair, ineffective, or bought by lobbying are often called corporate welfare. The label of corporate welfare is often used to decry projects advertised as being is benefiting the general welfare that spends a disproportionate amount of funds on large corporations and often in uncompetitive or anti-competitive ways. And that's the thing. That's the thing. You get the, you get these massive buyouts whenever whenever something the shit hits the fan like right now, like we we're just we talked about on the show before. I don't think anybody wants to see Starbucks start gobbling up all their local coffee shops. People that really really risked put themselves at risk to follow some kind of idea of of entrepreneurship and the American dream are now in a really shit situation. But the corporations, I would I would rather see all of Starbucks fail, right? In this example, all of Starbucks fail and be replaced by local coffee shops, right? Or let somebody else come through. They're they're, they're going to be irresponsible with the amount of cash they have on hand and how they've set themselves up. Then I would see a massive amount of mom and pop shops close down. That's me personally. I think that that it's it's kind of like uh, the same way that that fucking fires are necessary in 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 the fucking woods. You got to clear out that 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 old growth and make room. And we haven't allowed ourselves to do that. So we continually now we have you know two times in two decades these massive crises and 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 they say that we couldn't have predicted a pandemic, but we it was predicted. People did predict it. Lots of people did. Fucking Bill Gates did a TED talk on it. Now, there's some conspiracy theory rabbit holes there, but we'll save that for another podcast. But I think that this is one of those things where corporate irresponsibility has has created a a, a high amount of, of disillusionment among the populace. And it is, it's if I would be I'm 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 not smart enough to sit here and tell you I know exactly what to do about it or what system would work better, but I feel like at least understanding these things. Taking the time to understand these things, dig a little bit. It's not going to be, here's the thing about all this stuff. It's not going to be easy for you to understand. Because you look at who who finances the media that you're consuming most of the time. Nobody finances it. I finance this fucking podcast and the people that support what we do, right? I'm not bought by Big Pharma, but if you could turn on to NBC, MSNBC, fucking Fox News, Pick, pick your poison, whichever one, doesn't fucking matter. Turn on to any of those. Who is buying ads, ad space, which makes those things run? Who's buying ad space? Pharmaceutical companies. Okay. So how, how can you, this reminds me of a story when I, I, knew, a, I knew a man that employed a lot of his friends and people that he, he um, was close to, right? That was his, his primary kind of, community but he expected people to be honest with him even though and be transparent with him even though it, it, it he was paying their bills we just can't do we can't expect that to be the case that's just not how people work and it's it's disheartening to see people believe that what they're getting spoon-fed by people that are propped up by the the the, the, the type of corporations that that really don't give an actual fuck you know, they're not going to tell you this. They're not going to say this. If somebody does say something like this on air, they don't aren't invited back. And it's crazy. It's crazy what they get away with. It is crazy. But I think it's really important to have a fundamental understanding of the systems at play that do involve all of us. 
They do involve all of us. And I don't think anybody's going to be fucking upset if we subsidize education and pay teachers more, right? If that costs government, that costs taxpayer money, which of course it does. It always has and it always will. It's an essential, it's an essential service and people are compensated for it. Not so fairly now, but I hope we're moving in that direction. It's a fucking vital investment in our future. And are we investing in our future or are we investing in the short-term benefits of those who have had the finances to lobby for their own self-interest? Do you have a lobbyist? I don't have a lobbyist. I don't even be lobbying for, lobbying for me. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting game, and how we've set this up is wild. So, oh, that's corporate socialism. Little rundown. I hope it shed some light on some things for you. Hope it was interesting for you. I really do. But this has been really fun, y'all. If you love the show, make sure to share it. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I know this is a little bit irreverent, and it does. I really appreciate the space to just to share thoughts, dive into things, and um, jump into some of these fun topics. There's just so much. There is so much stress and and kind of darkness in the world right now. But you know, I think there's a place to bring levity to whatever we can, and I think we have a responsibility to try and stay lighthearted. You know, approach these things, whether it's the fucking government, which can, get, can weigh you down, or this pandemic, or whatever fucking strains we have in our life. If we can bring a lighthearted approach to that. I think it's it, it puts us in a better position across the board. So if you could um, bring some lightness to the Apple reviews, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Share this podcast if you love it, like I said. And if you have any questions, any topics you want me to cover, you can definitely jump on to Instagram. Find me at Connor Wanders. But until next time... Be safe out there. Stay home. Don't be wild. Love y'all. Bye.